the world is out there looking at the church and saying, why would I want to be a part of that? They can't even get along with each other. Today we're going to finish this series talking about toxic religion. Does everybody have your seatbelt on? Everybody ready for this? Toxic religion. Several years ago, and thank, thank you, Tanya, several years ago, Jamie and I were celebrating, I believe it was our 25th anniversary, so that would have been 10 years ago. And celebrating our wedding anniversary, we went on a cruise, an Eastern Caribbean cruise. It was the first time we'd ever been on a cruise. And uh, you know how it is on a cruise. A lot of the times they assign you the table that you're going to sit at at dinner. So you don't really pick and choose who your dinner guests are going to be. You're just kind of stuck with them. And... Um, on this particular cruise, we actually got seated at a table with some pretty cool individuals. And I say they were cool, but I don't think any of them knew Jesus. And they kept asking us every night at dinner, they kept asking us, so tell us, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living every night? And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes when non-Christian, non-religious people ask me that question, what do you do for a living? I, I just got to be honest with you. Sometimes I'm tempted to lie. <laughs> and we'd go back to the room and I would tell Jamie, what can we tell them without lying? Maybe we can tell them that we're counselors. <laughs> but then I was afraid they would just kind of start dumping all their problems on us. You know, we're trying, to, we're trying to figure out all kinds of things. And let me tell you why. It's because I've noticed that when I'm in a conversation with a non-Christian or a non-religious person and they ask me that question and I tell them what I do for a living, that I'm a pastor, the conversation goes one of two directions. First of all, they get really hyper-religious, you know, and they start talking all the religious talk. The second direction that the conversation can take is that it just tanks. It goes nowhere. And I just knew that if I told these people at the table on our cruise what I did for a living, our conversations would tank. And our dinner times would be very, very awkward. Matter of fact, I was talking to a guy one time that was a non-Christian, non-religious guy, and he asked me that question. And I told him what I did for a living. I told him, I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he looked at me and he said, well, no offense, pastor. He didn't really say pastor. He said, no offense, preacher. But he said, I'm not a religious person, and I just don't care for religious people. I said, great. We're going to get along wonderfully. Because I'm not a religious person either, and I don't care for religious people. Let me, let me remind you what the definition of toxic is. Toxic is simply anything containing poisonous material that is capable of causing sickness or even death. And how many of you know that there is nothing more toxic in our culture today, if you ask me, nothing more toxic than toxic religion? Listen, you will never convince me that God sent his son Jesus here to this earth 
who gave his life for us, who lived a perfect, sinless life, who showed his love for us by dying on a cross for us and rose again, you will never convince me that God sent his son Jesus here to do all of that just so I could have religion. No. He did all of that so that I could have a relationship with God. Amen? But there's a lot of toxic religion going on in our culture today, in the church world today. And, and it's really not a new thing. This is something that the Apostle Paul had to deal with in the book of Galatians. And, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture here in just a moment. But before we do, let me just kind of set this passage up, give you a little bit of background about it. You need to understand that the Apostle Paul, in a lot of ways, the Apostle Paul was a church planter. He would go into a particular city. He would lead people to Jesus. He would develop leaders. And then he would empower those leaders to plant a church or under his leadership would plant a church. And then Paul would leave and he would go to another city and duplicate that all over again. But he always kept in touch with them. If there were any problems, they would write letters to Paul. And then Paul would respond with answers to their problems with another letter. And Galatians and Ephesians and Corinthians, we look at them as books of the Bible, but really they're letters that Paul wrote back addressing particular issues in the church and how the leaders of that church were to take care of those issues. And so in Galatians chapter 1, we see that the Apostle Paul is really, really upset because after he leaves Galatia, after he's established the church and empowered leaders, there was another group of people that came in behind him called Judaizers. And Judaizers would come in and they would corrupt, they would pervert the gospel of Jesus. Because they would come into a church and they would say something like this. Now, you know Paul, he, he really was... He really was a great guy. And the message that he preached about Jesus was a good message. But the thing you've got to understand about Paul is he didn't give you the whole gospel. He didn't give you the whole message. And then they began to pick on the men, these Judaizers did, because they looked at him and said, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. In other words, it wasn't trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. It was trusting in Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus circumcision. Now, can you imagine the tension that it must have created in that room when those Judaizers come in and told these full-grown, uncircumcised men that when you come to Jesus today, the first thing that you've got to do is be circumcised. I couldn't imagine that. I can't even get men to get baptized, <laughs> much less circumcised. And so Paul is furious. He's furious with this. And this is what he's having to address in Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. Listen to what he says. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Now, I want you to notice that the word one there is small o, not capital. So Paul's referring to himself and the gospel that he preached to them about the grace of Christ. And he said, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting me who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Notice, 
Not Christ plus circumcision, not Christ plus the law, but to trust and to live in the grace of Christ. But now you are turning to a different gospel. Different than the one that I talked to you about and preached to you about. He said, he said, which really is no gospel at all. Because you see the word gospel means good news. This, Jesus plus circumcision, not good news to these guys. And he said, it's really no gospel at all. It's really not good news at all. Evidently, he said, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And that word pervert means to corrupt the gospel of Christ, to poison the gospel of Christ. In other words, you have allowed the gospel to become toxic by listening to and receiving a gospel that is not just in Christ alone for your salvation, but Christ plus the law. Now listen, there was a group of people in the New Testament that were masters at religion. And you probably know who they are before I even mention them. They were called the Pharisees. And what we're going to learn this morning, and, and I want to just kind of, kind of help you to recognize what the toxic ingredients. Really, there's, there, there's two main ingredients that cause religion to become toxic. And toxic religion, first of all, is this. It focuses on the external rather than the internal. You see, religion is all about external expression, not about internal transformation. That's, that's what religion, that's what poisons religion. It becomes about our performance. It becomes about our outward expression. And, and the Pharisees were masters at this. Now, now get this. The Pharisees had 613 laws, 613 commands, and they had memorized word for word every single one of those 613 commands. And then they did their very best to externally express those 613 commands in their life. In other words, they had reduced Christianity down to a list of do's and don'ts. And if we're not careful, we make the same mistake that when people come to Jesus, the first thing we do is we begin to focus on the externals. And we say to them, okay, you can't smoke anymore, you can't chew anymore, and you can't hang out with folks who do anymore. You know, you, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, but you got to start doing this. Got to go to church every time the doors are open. You know, you got to fast at least two times a week. You got to get into a small group. You got to come to a... I mean, we, we give them their list of do's and don'ts thinking that somehow external expression is going to transform or to change their lives. Now, that's, that's kind of the kind of culture I grew up in. And, and, and some of you can identify with that. You, you kind of grew up in that same kind of culture. I shared with you several weeks ago, I believe it was, that to go, to my, or to go bowling for the first time, I had to sneak off with my brother and my cousin to go bowling. We couldn't go bowling. We couldn't go to the bowling alley. There were worldly people in the bowling alley. So, so we couldn't go there. And, and I snuck off with my brother and I, I snuck off with my cousin and I went bowling. And the first time I ever went bowling, listen, I was like 12 years old and I bowled 141. 
and couldn't tell anybody. <laughs> it was murder. Matter of fact, it's just been, you can ask my wife, it's only been several months ago that I finally came through or, or came to my parents and confessed to them <laughs> that I did it, that I went bowling. Victor Lane, Victor Lane, Victor Lane, what are we going to do with you? But you see, that's what religion does. It has its list of do's and don'ts. We, thinking that we can transform and change people from the outside in. And Jesus hated that kind of religion. Listen to what he said to these Pharisees. He said, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. You see, change and transformation doesn't happen externally to internally or from the outside in. No, if we want to see people's lives transformed, why don't we try this? When they come to Jesus, instead of giving them a big list of do's and don'ts and a lot of laws and commands to live by, why don't we start talking to them about the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God? And why don't we start teaching them about the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives on the inside of them as a believer because look at this pastor and hear what I'm about to say I have enough confidence this morning in the power of the Holy Spirit that if we will allow him to he can change and he can transform people's lives from the inside out amen sometimes I think what leads to religion is we feel like we can't trust the work of the Holy Spirit and we take matters into our own hands and we try to change what we cannot change and change who we cannot change. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's changed my life. He's transformed my life. I'm not the same person I used to be. And no, I don't do some of the same things that I used to do before. But it's not because I started on the outside and worked in. It's because the Holy Spirit began to work on the inside of me. And the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit is working on the inside of us, that He changes us more and more and more into the image of who Jesus is. Amen. It's external rather than internal. Here's the second thing about religion. It promotes spiritual pride. It leads us to believe that we're better than everybody else. If we're not careful, we're better than everybody else. Superior because we're Christians, we're believers, and they're not. Listen, God does not love you any more than He loves the most wretched sinner on the face of this earth. Now, that ought to humble somebody in this room here this morning, and that you are not better because you're a Christian than any other person that God has created. God still loves and God still values every human being just the same. Amen? But notice this story that Jesus shares in Luke chapter 18. As it comes to the pride that religion promotes, 
He said to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I struggle being up here on this stage because I don't want it to ever come across to any individuals that I'm up here looking down on everybody else. That's not what it's about at all. And he said that some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So if this is you, this parable is for you this morning. He said this, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now he's got two extremes going on here that he's comparing and contrasting. He's got the Pharisee, which in that culture was looked at as the best of the best, the most righteous in that culture, the Pharisee. And even Jesus said that unless our, our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, he, he even talked about how righteous they were, but it was a self-righteousness. But, but, but they had the reputation in their culture because of how they lived and, and, and because of the external things that they did. They had the reputation that they were the best of the best. And then they had the tax collectors. They were considered the worst of the worst. And so you've got the best of the best. You've got the worst of the worst in this culture. And notice what happens. It says that the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Notice, nobody's good enough to stand with him. He's going to stand by himself. And notice, he's not going to just sit there or kneel and pray. He's got to stand and pray so that everybody can see him and everybody can hear him. And here's what he said. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. So that makes me far superior to anyone else. Far better, far greater than anyone else. Listen to me. Can I tell you what's keeping this world from coming to Jesus? It's this kind of an attitude right here. Did you hear me? It's this kind of an attitude right here. This hypercritical, joyous, joyless, cynical attitude that so many Christians have that is turning people away from Christ rather than drawing people to Christ. Listen. How are we going to win the world for Jesus when the world is out there looking at the church and saying, why would I want to be a part of that? They can't even get along with each other. Now, I'm preaching now in case somebody wants to. Why do you think we have tens of thousands of denominations in this nation? Not world, in this nation. Why do we have so many different denominations? I'll tell you why. Because this denomination thinks they've got the hand up on that denomination. Or this denomination is better than that denomination. 
You got the Baptist. I love the Baptist. They're all about their water baptism, getting people saved, getting people baptized. You know, and they think sometimes they're superior because of that. You've got the Methodist movement. Yes, they preach the message of holiness. And that's, that's what their, their denomination was founded on was that message of holiness. And did you know that the church of God was birthed out of the Methodist movement? And then you have the Presbyterians. And, 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 and you know, they have their message of predestination. That, that's kind of what sets them apart. Oh, but none of them can compare to us Pentecostals. No, we speak in tongues. We got the Holy Ghost. You know, we're full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And every, every, every denomination thinking that one denomination is better than the other denomination. Listen, I'm going to make a public statement from this stage here today. We are not against any church that preaches the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not against them. But we are for the churches in our community. We are for the churches in our county. We are for the churches in our state. We are for the churches in our nation. Why? Because it's not one denomination that's going to win this world for Jesus. It's not one church that's going to win this world for Jesus. God help us if we could ever come together as one. If we could ever be unified as one, then we'd be able to fulfill the great commission to go into all the nations and preach the gospel of Jesus and make disciples for his glory. Amen. I say that because I was listening to Pastor Craig Rochelle several days ago. Pastor Craig now pastors the largest church in our nation, probably 50 to 60,000 people strong. Of course, they meet in several different locations. And he was at home not too long ago, and there was a knock on his door. He went to the door, and there was a young man standing out there with his Bible in his hand, and he was going to witness to Pastor Craig. He didn't know who Craig was. So Craig opened the door, and he said, Hello, my name is so-and-so. I'm from so-and-so. I, would you allow me to come in and talk to you about Jesus, to share the gospel with you? And Craig sort of looked at him and said, Listen, thank you, but I'm already a Christian. I'm already a believer. He said, oh, well, that's great. In that case, I'd like to invite you to come to my church. And Craig said, well, that's all right. I already have a church. He said, oh, really? Where do you attend church? Craig said, I go to Life Church in Oklahoma City. And he said, when I said those words, that kid looked at me and said, ooh. (laughs) Our pastor told us they don't preach the truth over there at Life Church. He said, I looked at that young man and said, tell your pastor he needs to be circumcised and I'll be happy to do it. (laughs) Listen to me, listen to me. If we're not careful, we can fall into that same kind of an attitude. Just because a church is a big church doesn't mean that church is not preaching truth. 
And sometimes big churches, and I'm not talking about a church even the size of ours. I'm talking about a church even, churches bigger than ours. They sometimes get criticized and when they get big. They're big because they don't preach the truth. They're big because they'll allow anything. They're big because anybody can come there. Well, duh, wouldn't you think Jesus would do the same thing that anybody is welcome? And I want to just say this morning, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter how you smell. It doesn't matter how you dress. It doesn't matter what kind of town you live in, what part of town you live in. Listen to me. At Summerton Church of God, you are are welcome you're welcome here I don't care what your struggles are I don't care what your battles are I don't care what your hang-ups are I don't care what your habits are you're welcome here you're welcome here <laughs> amen but he said you're perverting this let me get back to the message because I got the metal in there a little bit he said he said they've perverted the gospel of Jesus. That word gospel means good news. And as we close this morning, can I share the good news with you? Not the bad news of religion, not the bad news of Jesus plus the law. I mean, let's, let's think about this for just a moment. Just think about the Ten Commandments, all right? Let's think about the first one. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. It, Anybody already done? Anybody already broke that? You won't raise your hand. Your money, your job, your career, your marriage. We can't even keep the first one. So when we get down to around 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't murder. You say, well, I've never killed anybody literally, but what about with your words? Have you killed reputations? with your words look at what this scripture says for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands the law simply shows us how sinful we are but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That's the good news. Let's break it down. Three things it tells us. First of all, you cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. Because listen to what he said. He said, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. So if you're thinking that apart from Jesus... If you're thinking that you can close the gap between you and God by the good works that you do, you're wrong. If you think that that's what gives you favor and pleases God is just keeping the law, you're wrong. You're being misled. You're deceived. But then he goes on and he says this too. He says that the purpose of the law, there is a purpose for the law, and that the purpose of the law is to show you your need for a Savior. Because look at what he said. He said the law simply shows us how sinful we are. So when I look at those Ten Commandments and compare my life, all those laws, all those commands do is point out my problem. But they can't solve my problem. I can live the most righteous life there is. Never do anything wrong. 
but still be separated from God. Why? Because of the third thing that he says in this passage, that righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. And listen to what he said. He said it like this. He said that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And I love this. And this is true for everyone who believes. No matter who you are. And you've heard me say it over and over and over. It's not about what you do. It's about putting faith and trust in what Christ has already done. You say, Pastor, preaching a message like that, it sounds like you're saying that once people get saved, they can live any way they want to live. No, you're missing the point. Again, I go back, I trust, I have confidence that now that the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of a person and begins to work in that person, that the Holy Spirit will help to transform that person from the inside out. And I'm convinced that if we'll take them in and we'll talk to them about the love of God and talk to them about the grace of God and talk to them about the mercy of God and give them opportunities to continually experience the love and the grace and the mercy and the acceptance and the forgiveness of God, then they will want to do things for God. Not because they're forced to, but because now they're so in love with Jesus and they're so in love with God that they're motivated now to want to serve Him because of that. It really makes sense. Because when you go back to that parable that Jesus shared, about the Pharisee and the tax collector and the Pharisee standing up and praying so everybody could say, Oh God, I'm so glad. I'm not like all these others. Compare that with the tax collector. Because listen, he said the tax collector stood at a distance. He didn't want anybody to see him. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, he recognized his need for mercy. God, I don't deserve it. I know what I deserve, God. I deserve death. But I realize, God, what I deserve. But don't give me what I deserve, God. Give me what I need. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your love. You see, the Pharisee, this is the problem with religious people. This is the problem with self-righteous people. They don't ask for mercy because they don't think they need it. They're so good. They don't ask for grace. They don't think they need it. They They don't ask for the love of God. They think they have everything they need. But not the tax collector. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And listen to what it says now. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Lord, this morning, set us free from religion. Father God, this independence week that we celebrate Independence Day, our prayer is deliver us from religion that kills 
into relationship that brings life. Hear me this morning, that word religion, the original root word for religion, here's what it means. It means to take back into bondage or to take back into captivity. And if we're not careful, that's exactly what we do when somebody comes to Christ. We put them right back into captivity saying, okay, now you can't do this, can't, 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 can't. You can, 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 can. We put them right back into bondage. Jesus didn't come to put you in bondage. He came to set you free from your bondage. Amen. So, Father, forgive us this morning for being so religious because, Lord, it's a trap we can all fall into. Forgive us this morning for seeming superior to those who are separated from you. May we humble ourselves today, Lord, just like that tax collector did. May we humble ourselves. No, Lord, we're not worthy. No, Lord, we're not deserving. But God, give me your mercy. Because, Lord, I know that without you, I'm nothing. And that apart from you, relationship with my Father, with God, is impossible. It's through you, Christ Jesus, and you alone. I want the team, if they would, to come up right now. And I want everybody to stand in the room. Are you praying this prayer with me this morning? If you have found yourself to be a religious person, are you asking God to forgive you and set you free from religion? You know, I need to understand that even after I come to Jesus... It's still not my works. It's still not my good deeds that's going to get me into heaven or give me any more favor with God. Now, again, that that doesn't mean that I don't want to do things for God. I do, but I do it for the right reasons. I do it with the right motivation. But I still understand that when I get to heaven, I got there for one reason. And it was because I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did at the cross. Have you done that this morning? You say, but pastor, I come to church every Sunday. Pray with my family every night. I give in the offering when it comes by. I stand and I sing when when it's time to sing. Yes, I know all of that, but do you know Jesus? Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you surrendered control of your life to Him? Because listen, here you are over here. God's over here. And there's a great gap between the two. And you'll not close that gap by the works that you do. But there is one who built a bridge. And he, he said this. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Those of you that are weary from religion, from all the do's and the don'ts. He said, come to me, all of you that labor and are heavy laden. I, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, he said, because my yoke is easy and my burden 
is light. That's Jesus. And as we take a moment here and we worship and we sing some more about the love of God, I just feel like I need to give an opportunity for those of you that don't know Jesus today to say, listen, I'm going I'm to stop trusting in my religion. I'm going to stop trusting in my works. And today, I'm going to trust in the finished work of Jesus at the cross. And I'm going to receive him as my Lord and my Savior. And I'm going to start living my life according to the plan that he has in his word for me. Come on, let's worship and let's sing about the love of God, but let's experience the love of God in this room right now. Come on. Knowing that his love is extended to you, not because of what you've done, but because of who you've put your trust in. Hallelujah. Let your love run over here and now. Let your glory fill this house. Come on, pour it out. Let your love run over here and now. Let your glory fill this house. Oh, pour it let your love run over. Come on, receive the love of God Here this morning. Now, Hallelujah. Let your glory fill this house. Pour it out. Let your love run over. Here and now. Let your glory And come up here with me just a minute, buddy. And just, just come up here and step. No, you don't have to bring that. Just come up here with me. Let me just try to give you a visual before we leave today, okay? When I came to Christ, my garments, my righteousness, the Bible said, was as filthy rags. That's what covered me. That's what clothed me. But the moment that I put my trust in Jesus, take your jacket off, Griffin. Let me see. He took his robe of righteousness. Probably gonna get a little sweaty. And he placed it on me. And now I am covered in the blood of Jesus now listen I am only righteous because of whose I am now look when God sees me when he looks at me get this he now sees me because now I'm in Christ I'm in Christ Jesus I'm covered by the blood I'm covered in his righteousness that's why Paul so many times in Ephesians, Colossians, all of his books, he talks about in Christ, in Christ. Every blessing that you have today is not because of who you are. It's because you are in Christ Jesus. And when God looks at you, he does not see you and your filthiness. 
but he sees the blood of Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And now you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of that. Come on, give God praise and thank him for that. Hallelujah. place this morning let's do what Jesus commanded us to do let's go into our community and let's let our light shine bright so that others see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven and if we'll be light we can eliminate the darkness and we can transform this community and this county for the glory of God are you with me amen come on let's go do it for the glory of God God bless you you are dismissed amen we want you to come and join us here at Summerton Church of God. God is doing some amazing, miraculous things, and we want you and your family to be a part of that. We are eliminating the darkness in this community by being light.